Well, we've been hearing a little bit about hearing this morning in some of the things, some of the readings, some of the hymns. So let's pray that as we come to God's word, we will hear. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we come to this important last of the seven letters that you would help us to hear because it's most important and it will be the answer to all of our problems about mediocrity if we hear and then act. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the last of the seven churches in this series on the seven letters. And hopefully you remember that each church that we've looked at has been addressed by the risen Jesus, has been characterised by one particular mark. In Ephesus, they had begun to backslide. In Smyrna, their issue was suffering. The church at Pergamum was compromised. The church at Thyatira was on its last chance. Sardis was dead. Philadelphia had an open door of opportunity. But perhaps most famously and most well-known of all the seven churches, the church we consider this morning is the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. No heresy, no persecution, no immorality, None of these describe the great problem at the church at Laodicea. But here is a church marked by mediocrity, spiritually mediocre. And so given that the message for Jesus, uh, for the church in Laodicea by Jesus, is so strong and sharp and pointed, John Stott said, we shall need to brace ourselves to hear what Jesus thinks of them. So the description of Jesus with which the letter opens, I think, helps prepare us to receive the message with a proper attitude. Verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Suppose for a moment you went to the doctor complaining of chest pain. When at last you are shown into your appointment, uh, the doctor is nowhere to be seen, but instead one of the cleaners dusting the furniture, emptying the bin and vacuuming the floor is there and you say, where's the doctor? Don't know, Some comes the reply, but I'll tell you what, I've been working here about 10 years and I've learned a thing or two along the way. I'm sure I can help you. After a five-minute consultation with the cleaner, you've been diagnosed with a potentially life-threatening heart condition and you've been instructed to check yourself into the hospital immediately. Now, of course, you would not be wise to trust that diagnosis because such a cleaner would not medically be qualified to issue an opinion. But let's say you happen to go to the doctor and it's a leading cardiologist in the country and he tells you, you have a life-threatening condition. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? 
You look around the room, on the walls are this man's many degrees and awards. On the shelves are expert volumes with his names on the spines, on the spines of the books. And as you talk to him, he knows all the right questions to ask and he deals with you and communicates experience and training. The man knows what he's talking about. His credentials help you trust him. Well, verse 14 are the credentials of Jesus for making the hard diagnosis that he does for the church at Laodicea. These are the words of the Amen, we are told. That is to say, these are the words of the one who not only speaks, but delivers the word of God. The one in whom are all the promises of God. One who has never uttered an empty word or a hollow threat or an impossible promise. The words of the Amen. And he is the faithful and the true witness. He tells the truth about God and about us because he is the one in whom God is perfectly revealed to the world. The word for truth here, the faithful and true witness, means genuine, in opposition uh, to the illusory, the real rather than the counterfeit. Jesus speaks as the real deal, we might say. And he speaks as the beginning of creation. The word beginning there doesn't imply that Jesus is the first creature in a sequence of creatures. It means he is the source and the archetype from which all creation happens. Everything was made through him. He was not made. And so when he speaks, we don't need to wring our hands and worry whether or not we ought to get a second opinion. His credentials help us to trust him even when, as he does here, he has hard things to say to the church. And perhaps the simplest way to get into the message, this hard message of Jesus for the church at Laodicea, is to notice the three images of Jesus that are evoked here in word pictures in these verses before us. First, Jesus speaks in verses 15 to 16 as a visitor to the city drinking. There were three famous cities clustered somewhat together in the valley nearby. Six miles to the north is the city of Hierapolis, which was famed for its hot thermal springs. Some ten miles upriver, the third of these three sister cities of the valley, the city of Colossae, to which we've already heard, because we've heard from the book of Colossians, was known for its cold, refreshing spring water. Hot thermal springs, cold springs. Through, the, through this valley from Heriopolis, the piping hot water from the springs there flowed through the valley toward Laodicea and eventually would topple over a hundred metre cliff. Hot water eventually began to cool. And when it reached Laodicea, the water was tepid and lukewarm. Putrid and nauseating are the words one commentator used to describe it. Luke warm. 
There's refreshing cold water at Colossae. There's hot water at Heriopolis. But at Laodicea, it's lukewarm. There's nothing more distasteful, is there, than reaching for your hot drink, expecting a nice hot cup of tea. I don't like coffee. Only not to find it cold exactly, but on the cool side of room temperature. Ugh. Cold but not chilled. Not a refreshing icy drink on a hot day. Certainly not a stimulating hot drink on a cold morning, but off temperature. I think you know how unpleasant that taste would be. Well, that was the state of the church in Laodicea. Jesus said to them, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Actually, the word spit is vomit. Sorry about that. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Laodicea, the lukewarm church there, makes Jesus gag. Mediocrity isn't fit for Jesus. Remember those men I alluded to in Luke 9 this morning? Remember the one who said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, I will go wherever you go, but, but first, I've just got to do this. Remember what Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What does this mediocrity at Laodicea look like? Well, secondly, Jesus uses another image in verse 17 and 18 where he speaks as a merchant in the city trading. Now, in verse 17, we're told about the the Christians at Laodicea and their perception of themselves, first of all. You say, Jesus says of them, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. This apparently was a wealthy affluent congregation in a prosperous city. They took stock of themselves and said, we're it in a bit, we're all good, we have no lack, we have no needs. When a need does arise, we have money, we can throw it at the problem. When a problem comes, we have the resources on hand to resolve it. Here is a church of plenty, of abundance, a church of surplus. That's how the Laodiceans perceive themselves. We have prospered. We need nothing. But notice that Jesus sees things very differently, doesn't he? Notice the, the stunning contrast between their perception of themselves and the truth according to Jesus. You say, I am rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realising you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. Among the three worst church words among the three worst words that a church, or for that matter a Christian, can ever say are these I need nothing. A church or a Christian who can say I need nothing will not cling to Jesus in everything will not come to Jesus for anything. 
And yet this was precisely their attitude. Despite the diagnosis given by Jesus, that despite their material wealth and their outward prosperity, spiritually they were bankrupt. They were close to bankruptcy, a miserable specimen of what a church should ultimately be like. And Jesus comes to them like a merchant with an offer to change everything. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Now Jesus' choice of words here are full of significance for the people of the church at Laodicea. He speaks about three things for which the city was famous. First, he says, buy from me gold. Laodicea was wealthy, so wealthy that at one point the Jews of Jerusalem asked the Jews of Laodicea for help and a collection of 10 kilograms of gold was sent from the bank in Laodicea. That's worth today $500 million dollars. When an earthquake destroyed the city, it was offered Roman assistance. This was customary to offer it, but the I-need-nothing Laodiceans refused the Roman assistant and rebuilt the city from their own resources. This is a rich city. But for all the material riches, only Jesus, we learn here, only Jesus can give the true riches of the refined gold that does not perish, spoil or fade, an inheritance incorruptible kept in heaven for us, says Peter. Then Jesus says, buy from me white garments so that you may clothe yourself and cover your nakedness. The city was famous for its financial prosperity but for its prosperous trade in fine garments. The glossy black wool of the sheep that grazed on the hills outside the city made the clothing of Laodicea so coveted. But for all their style and elegance, Jesus says, I can see right through you. You're naked. Jesus has better garments for them. White robes. Everywhere in the book of Revelation, white robes signify holiness. White robes signifying holiness are the gift that Jesus gives to all who come to him in repentance and faith. And then he says, buy from himself to anoint their eyes that you may see. Laodicea was famous for its medical school connected to one of the temples there where they made a medical powder that treated what? Blindness. But it was the members of the Laodicean church who were the blind ones, thinking that material plenty meant they had no need for Jesus when he was and is their true eye self. He opens blind eyes to the truth, the truth that apart from me you can do nothing. Buy from me, he says, come and buy from me all that your soul needs. And here he's echoing what? Isaiah 55. Come, 
everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come buy from me what you need. It's free. Doesn't cost. Come and receive it by faith. Buy it by trusting in me. Come buy true riches to undo the bankruptcy of your soul. Come buy white robes of holiness to cover the shame of your sin. Come buy eye salve for your eyes that you might see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Here's a vital word to us all, isn't it? In our affluence, aren't we in danger of becoming Laodicean in our attitude? The more we rely on bank balances and buildings and bodies in the pew, the more like Laodicea we become. The more confidence we put in financial planning, in our prestige, in our position, the more Jesus' words to Laodicea are addressed to us. You say you're rich and prosperous and need nothing, but you're just the opposite. You're wretched, you're pitiable, you're, pl- you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. Hear the call of Jesus who offers us for free what we need. True riches, clean garments, 2020 vision. It's all in him. Come, buy it from him. Do not say, I have no need. Then thirdly, Jesus speaks as a guest in the city, knocking. Here we look at the hard, strong and challenging words verses 19 to 22, strong and challenging, but in giving them, uh, Jesus reminds his hearers that these words come with a good purpose. Those whom I love, he says, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. The stinging rebuke of Jesus' message comes from love and it's this theme of loving and treaty that comes out in the final image of the text. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, so far, the state of the church has been addressed corporately and the diagnosis of Jesus corporately is that this church is lukewarm and mediocre. But here Jesus invites anyone... Note that anyone from within that number, anyone who hears his voice, a great invitation. He gives them a great invitation. And note well that responding to God as he speaks to us through his son Jesus is on the basis of one heart at a time. Each of us individually must respond to Jesus for himself or herself. You can't do it for somebody else. With the expectation here that the whole church will hear his voice and respond. He knocks. But notice carefully, by the way, as this text has been misused so often, that he is not knocking on the door of the unconverted 
Not those outside the church, but those in the church. And by knocking, he calls to the church in Laodicea. What was their mindset? They claim to be self-sufficient. They need nothing. But the pathway to spiritual health demands the reversal of that. The self-made man or woman must give up pretended independence. You must give up your independence and open to the outside help being offered. Otherwise, it's all over, Red Rover. See, Laodicea, the spiritual nucleus at the life, at the centre of the church was missing. There was no response to God in their assemblies. They may well have sung the hymns and prayed the prayers and heard the preaching and sat together around the Lord's table, but they ate. And the tragedy was that they did not eat with him present. It's a terrible condition and position to be in, but get this. Jesus doesn't give up on them. He knocks and he keeps on knocking. He calls out and he keeps on calling. If anyone hears my voice, and he calls out to demand re-entry into that fellowship. First place in that fellowship. And he offers intimacy with them pleading with them to open up to him, to give up their pretend independence, to stop saying I need nothing and open the door and let him in. And what else does he promise? If anyone opens the door, I will come in to him and I will eat with him and he with me there will be a renewal of intimate fellowship and communion with him. Do you long within your heart for a deeper knowledge of the presence of Christ? And if the answer to that is not really, could it be that the absence of that desire is actually an indicator of your lukewarmness and your mediocrity. Could it be a consequence of dependence upon other things and self-reliance as you say to yourself, I'm okay, I need nothing. We would be so wrong not to stop here and let this opportunity go past without opening to him as he knocks through these words seeking fellowship and communion with you. So as we close it's worth noting that one of the truly remarkable features of this letter it's to the Laodicean Christians it covers the entire landscape from the lowest depths to which they had sunk and Jesus' words of rebuke to them all the way to the highest heights of blessing and beatitude. From the gag reflex that our mediocrity induces in Jesus to the promise with which the text concludes. The one who conquers will be granted to sit with Jesus on his throne just as he himself has conquered and sits with his father on his throne 
consider how it was that affluence and position and prosperity they'd been living for was nothing compared with the pinnacle of true prosperity and position offered to them through Jesus. A place on the throne of Jesus. And you get there by giving up the quest for earthly glory. The way up is down. We win by losing. You gain by repenting. You're exalted by humbling yourself. When we are weak, then we are strong. When we cling most dependently, most urgently to Jesus, then we are the richest of all. Can you see that? So what is the way out of the trap of mediocrity? Well, it's the words with which Jesus finishes the letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is a visitor to the city, tasting the waters. What will he say about your spiritual temperature? Jesus is a merchant, a trading with its citizens. Will you come to him to buy without money and without price all that you really need? Jesus is a guest in the city, seeking hospitality. And he stands at the door and he knocks. I wonder if today how many of us hear him knocking entreating us to open to him. See, if the church is to survive, if it's to flourish, if it's to grow, we so need to hear his voice. For what are we without him? We are nothing. He is all. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful letter that we've explored this morning. This image of Jesus on the outside of the church, knocking, waiting to be let back in. It's a sad, sad state of affairs for a church that thought themselves so good. Rid us of pride, we pray. Rid us of falsely esteeming ourselves, thinking of ourselves higher and better than we ought to. Thank you too that the Lord Jesus gave this way back. As he said, if anyone hears my voice. Lord, we confess that the spiritual temperature of our lives is often cold, not even lukewarm. And we need reviving ourselves so that the church might be a place where your word is heard. And we pray, Lord, revive us again. Change our dependence upon the things of the earth 
to be dependent upon the things that you give, that you value, that are much more important. And forgive our many sins and help us to hear him who speaks. For we ask it in his name. Amen.